You are listening to Episode 10 of Double Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. Written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 19, Diurnia System, 2358, July 9th. After my run, I went back to my stateroom to shower. I knocked carefully and listened before heading into the head, and had no problems. It was my second shower of the morning, and I wondered if Arletta was going to think I was some kind of weirdo with all the bathing. Still, after a workout, it felt good. Even with all that, it was barely 0930 when I got done, so I set my tablet to wake me at 1100 and lay down in my bunk for a quick nap. Sleep was elusive, though. I never really had much difficulty falling asleep. I was usually so exhausted that the opportunity for a few hours' sack time resulted in instant slumber. Something about being on the ship had my mind going, and it wouldn't shut down. Maybe it was the tension. Maybe it was the smell. Maybe it was just that I was a boot third mate and was being too green. Maybe the captain had a point and I was working for somebody I didn't know about. The whole thing was preposterous, but the captain had raised a lot of valid questions. Why me? I must have fallen off because my tablet bit me awake at 1100. I slipped back into my ship suit and, after splashing a little water on my face, slipped over to the mess deck for a cup of coffee. As I was filling the cup, Voorhees came out of the galley with a grin on his face. Well, that coffee is a hit, he said quietly. Thanks for the help. He looked a little awkward. It's my pleasure, Mr. Voorhees, I told him with a smile. I didn't do anything, though, just offered some suggestions to your excellent Ms. Kramer. Uh Uh-huh, he said with a wry grin. That's the way you want to play it? It's fine with me. You're making me look better, and I appreciate it, sir. He looked at me earnestly. Anything you need, let me know, okay? I owe you one, he said very quietly. Thanks, I told him, but I have to drink the coffee, too, and I'm just glad Miss Kramer is such a quick learner. I'm serious, sir. You need just call, okay? He insisted. Thanks, Mr. Voorhees. I appreciate the offer, I told him. I raised my cup in a toast and headed for the bridge. It wasn't time for my watch yet, but I needed to change out the removables to get ready for the next backup cycle before I actually relieved Mr. Burnside. I cleared all my backups and made it to the bridge by 11.40. Mr. Burnside was looking a tad more awake than I'd seen him last, but he didn't smell any better. He looked at me with one eyebrow raised as I crossed the bridge to the duty station. You're early, he pointed out. I was in the neighborhood. I had to clear my backups, I told him. You had a busy night, looks like, he said, waving his hand negligently around to indicate the bridge. Yeah, not so much, really, I told him. The three of us made pretty short work of it. He frowned at that. The three of you, he asked. Yeah, I had the helm and messenger up here working with me to get it shipshape in Bristol fashion. You cleaned? Alongside the crew. His voice was flat. Well, yeah, I said, not picking up the tone until it was too late. He nodded toward the bridge wing away from the helm, and we stepped over to the side of the bridge. He lowered his voice and said very clearly, Mr. Wong, you are now an officer. You are expected to comport yourself like an officer. I know you're fresh out of the academy and all, and that you've actually been a crewman but you must learn to keep a professional distance from the crew at all times. He could have hit me with a stick and I'd have been less surprised. I need to keep a professional distance, you say? I asked him. I tried to keep the disbelief out of my voice. Yes, Mr. Huang. Ishmael, I've seen it before in new young officers. These people are not your friends. They are your employees. You are in charge and it weakens your position and the position of every officer on the ship when you stoop to working with them doing menial tasks like cleaning the bridge. 
He was looking at me so earnestly. He really did believe what he was saying. He stood there, smelling of sex and sweat and dirty uniform, and had the stones to admonish me about keeping a professional distance from the crew. And he was serious. Thank you, David. That's valued advice, and I appreciate your taking the time to point out the problem, I told him, with as much sincerity as I could muster through the anger. He seemed a bit nonplussed in return. Well, that's a very encouraging response, Ishmael. Most new officers don't take that kindly to being corrected, he smiled. You're going to go far on this ship, if you can keep that attitude. Thank you, David. I appreciate your candor, I said sincerely. I really did appreciate the candor. One of the important lessons was to know your enemy, and he was giving me a lot of good information. Juliet Jackson clambered up the ladder to the bridge then and interrupted our little conference. Shall we relieve the watch and get on with the afternoon's festivities, I asked. Mr. Burnside nodded with a small smile. Yes, excellent. Nothing new and we're on course. You can have it, he said with a wave. I replied formally with, I have the watch, Mr. Burnside. Logged at 2358, July 9th at, I had to look at the chrono, 1143 per standing order. Jackson and Mallory swapped places, and the two men vacated the bridge without another word. So, any the worse for wear from your hot night on the bridge, Miss Jackson? I asked her as I settled into the watch station. She chuckled. Not in the least, sir, she answered, although Charlotte is suddenly very popular below decks. I would have thought she was already quite popular, I replied dryly. Well, news of the three-way on the bridge during the mid-watch appears to have spread, sir, she said, with a lot more humor than I was actually finding in the situation. How in the world has that story managed to spread so fast, I asked. I mean, I know the ship's small and all, and gossip spreads fast, but you were just teasing Mr. Mallory only six stands ago. I told you he wasn't the sharpest tack in the box, sir. Apparently he and Mr. Aponis had their heads together over breakfast, and they've come to the conclusion that we made such a mess of things up here that we had to clean the bridge entirely to hide the evidence. I almost choked on my coffee. They what? I confess, she said with a satisfied grin, I told them I had to clean butt prints off the glass, sir. That probably fueled the frenzy. But those prints were already there, I objected. Well, yes, sir, they were, and you know that, and I know that. Miss Dang knows that. But I think we neglected to mention that to the rest of the crew. I didn't know whether to laugh or scream. Let me get this straight. The crew thinks that you and I and Miss Dang had an orgy on watch last night, and that we spread evidence all over the bridge to the point where we had to clean it to hide what we'd done? Well, not all the crew, sir. Just a few of the more gullible, she said smugly. I buried my face in my hands right there at the watch station. Miss Jackson, did it occur to you that this little story might be giving me a reputation that I don't really deserve? I asked gently. Oh, yes, sir. And you're welcome. And may I say, sir, that I'm grateful for your gentle consideration. Thanks to being under your protection, I think I slept peacefully for the first time since I came aboard. Being under my protection? I asked hollowly. Yes, sir. The crew wouldn't expect you to share now, would they? That puts Charlotte and I out of reach, at least until you tire of us. The smugness of her tone got to me. You're enjoying this, aren't you, Miss Jackson? I asked. Yes, sir she said promptly. You realize this whole thing is impossible. Of course, sir. But if I'd known that screwing an officer would keep the filthy fingers out of my bunk at night, I'd have found one long ago. 
The smugness in her tone had been replaced by something just a tad darker, a bit more bitter. At no point had she ever turned to look at me. I just sat behind her right shoulder while she stared straight ahead. I just stared at her back. What could she be thinking, I thought. Is she mad? Then I noticed she was wearing a clean ship suit. It was the first time I'd seen a member of the crew in a clean one since I'd been aboard. I sighed, shook my head, and checked the systems logs to make sure that the environmental and engineering watches had changed on time. I did my best to focus on the task at hand. There wasn't much I could do about the crew. I had to just focus on my job. At just past 1200, Charlotte Dang climbed up to the bridge and relieved Ms. Jackson for lunch. They had a murmured conversation, and I pretended not to notice the rapid glances in my direction. I did notice that Ms. Dang was in a clean ship suit as well. After a few ticks, Ms. Dang said softly, Thank you, sir, and I'm sorry if we caused you any problems. I looked up, and she was looking at me over her shoulder. Ms. Dang? The story, she said. Most people know it's only a joke. Only the most obnoxious believe it, sir, she said. She bit her lower lip uncertainly. It just kind of got out of hand. I see, I said, although I really didn't, or maybe I did. I tried to imagine what it would be like to be in the birthing area for these two women, the hands in the dark, the unwelcome attention, the pressure to just go along, to get along. I found myself frowning at Ms. Dang's direction, but not at her. I relaxed my expression and smiled at her. Well, what's done is done, eh? We'll just have to see how it all shakes out over time. Maybe it'll serve to smarten up a few people, I said with as friendly a smile as I could. Thanks, Sar, she said with obvious relief, but... I wouldn't count on it adding IQ points to the crew's total. You're probably right, I observed ruefully. Miss Kramer appeared at the ladder then, carrying a covered tray. Your lunch, sir? She said. I'd forgotten that. Officers of the watch didn't get relieved for meals. The meal was delivered to them. I indicated a corner of the console, and she put the tray carefully on the desk. There was plenty of everything that I could see, even a small carafe of coffee and a pitcher of milk. It looked wonderful, and I was hungry. Thank you, Miss Kramer, I said. Well, you're very welcome, sir. You'll need to keep your strength up, she said with a giggle, and scampered off the bridge. Miss Dang, I said. She knows the truth, sir. I swear she does. I see, Miss Dang, I said, as I came to the full realization of just how much of a problem this was going to be. Within a few ticks, Juliet was back on the bridge, and she took the helm watch back. I ate my lunch and kept an eye on the displays. I tried not to get caught up in the gossip I couldn't control. I finished my coffee and put the dishes back on the tray. It had been a good lunch, and I still had a ways to go on the watch. There wasn't anything I needed to do except stay on the bridge, so I brought up the educational oversight system to check the dates. The next scheduled testing period was at the end of September. I checked the ship's calendar and realized that we'd be on our way back out of break-all before that. I flagged the date so it would remind me on my tablet before it got critical. On a whim, I scrolled back through the last few test sections to see who'd taken exams. Only one person had taken an exam in June. I supposed I wasn't surprised. Philippa Ballantyne, a specialist three in power, took her Spec 2 test. I wonder how long she'd be aboard if we found a ship needing a Spec 2 in power. The test was certified by the training officer, third mate Teresa Jaffe. Oh, so that was your name. Where did you get off to, Miss Jaffe? I muttered under my breath. Excuse me, sir? Miss Jackson asked. I shook my head. Nothing, Miss Jackson. Talking to myself again. Sometimes I do it out loud. 
They tell me that's not a symptom of insanity unless you're surprised by your answers, sir, she offered. You're a comfort to me, Miss Jackson, a real comfort. I couldn't help but smile. I try, sir, she said with a smirk of her own. I try. Chapter 20. Diurnia System, 2358, July 18th. We were ten days out of Diurnia before I realized the captain never came out of the cabin. To be precise, he hadn't come out since we'd secured from navigation detail and he'd taken me down for my welcome speech. He'd only gone to the wardroom for one meal. He was never on the bridge while I was there. I suppose he could have been sneaking out when I was asleep, but that seemed odd. By comparison, I saw a lot of Mel and Freddy. They were at every meal. Mel was often on the bridge during the day, working on the engineering station there, reviewing logs, watching the ship's grav and power status, and running her own environmental checks. My favorite times were soon those meals where Mr. Burnside had the watch so we were spared his boorish table manners and I could enjoy the company of Mel, Freddy, and Arletta. Freddy came out of her shell in those meals, looking less frail, speaking up more. She was never the center of attention or the life of the party, but she was guilty of a wonderfully wicked sense of humor. So the captain doesn't come out at all, I asked over breakfast. Freddy made a face. He has everything he needs delivered to the cabin. He'll come out for the jump, Mel commented, and then scurry back to his hole when we're on the other side, Freddy added. Arletta shot me a look from the corner of her eye. You're looking for some more quality time with him, she teased me. I chuckled and shook my head. No, I said. Captain Ross had made enough of an impression on me the one time. He's not so bad, Mel said. At least he stays out of the way of ship's operations. Freddy nodded her agreement. True. Be grateful he's not one of those micromanaging captains, she said. She turned to Mel and asked, Remember, oh, what was his name, on the old Gordy? Mel sat still, thinking for a heartbeat, and then said, Oh, yes, what was his name, on the Gordon Van Tassel? She thought for a moment longer. James, she began. Jankowitz, Freddy finished. Captain Jimmy Jankowitz, that was it. The man could drive you crazy. I swear he wanted to help the crew pick out which ship suit to wear. As long as it's a clean one, I muttered. Our letter heard me and chuckled. What? You think the hygiene of our crew is being compromised? I frowned. Is it just me or does anyone else find the ship to be just a bit on the whiffy side? Depends on who's in the room with you, Arletta said. She leaned over to sniff me dramatically. You don't smell too bad. Today, she teased. Freddy grinned. I'm glad I don't have any staff to deal with. All I have to do is make sure the can is tied on securely and stays there for the whole trip. Mal shook her head. Honestly, I don't know what the problem is. Getting them to do anything, from keeping the workspaces clean to putting on clean clothes, it's ridiculous. Arletta gave a sly smile in my direction and said, ever so sweetly, I notice you've got your girls in clean ship suits, Ishmael. Your first midwatch certainly made an impression with the crew. I sighed and speared another slab of bacon from the platter. They're not my girls, I protested. They are my watch section and I didn't do anything. We cleaned the bridge. That's all. They all laughed. I know, Arletta said, and they know. She nodded at Mel and Freddy. But Mr. Burnside is still trying to figure out how to get all women in his watch section. Mel frowned. He'll need to find some pretty beefy girls if he's going to replace his bully boys with women, she said darkly. Freddy snorted, but didn't add anything. Thanks, by the way, I said to Arletta. I noticed that when we follow your section onto the bridge, there's a lot less mass to clean up. 
Every other ship I've been on has had a regular cleaning schedule, Freddy said. I don't understand how this one has gone so long. It's not in the standing orders, Arletta said. I looked. So how do we change that, I asked. What, add to the standing orders, Arletta replied. Well, that, or just get the ship clean. I just had my watch section clean the bridge when we were on watch, I said. We do a quick wipe down every time we go on watch and then do a full sweep and swab when we have the mid. So that's why the bridge has been so clean, Mel said. I shrugged. After that first night, it only takes us a few ticks. One stand out of the watch, and we have the rest of the time to study and read. Study? Arletta asked. You've got somebody studying? Um, both of them, actually, I admitted. Charlotte's studying for Able Spacer. Juliet's working on Ship Handler. Mel blinked. You've been aboard ten days, and you've got your section cleaning the bridge and studying for the ratings. I just shrugged. Yeah, I said, is that bad? No, she exclaimed, it's excellent. How did you do it? Oh, you didn't hear about the orgy, Arletta asked. We all laughed at that. I was beginning to grow used to the twitting I was getting over that one. Arletta knew fully well what happened and that I was still a bit shocked and appalled over the whole situation. What truly disconcerted me were the requests from other women in the crew who wanted to join my harem. Arletta knew about those. That shared door had gotten a lot of use. But she didn't tease me about them. The fact that they were crew who felt like they needed that kind of protection was disconcerting enough for both of us. Seriously, how did you do it? Mel asked when we stopped laughing. I've been an officer for 30 Staniers, and I've never had as much trouble with my crew as I've had with this one. I shrugged. I don't know. Cleaning the bridge was actually easy. Juliet was actively hostile. I think she thought I was going to make a pass at her or something. She definitely didn't trust me. When I called Charlotte up to the bridge that night, I practically had to wrestle her ship suit back on her. Back on her? You didn't mention that before, Arletta said archly. Oh, you know what I mean, I protested. She was ready to go, and I had to convince the pair of them that I wasn't planning on playing with them. Arletta grinned. Yeah, so you say, she teased. Go on, Ishmael, I want to hear this, Mel said. So I outlined what I wanted to do, sent Charlotte down to the janitor locker for supplies, and we cleaned the bridge. Juliet is the tallest, so she did the ports. Charlotte and I did the consoles and screens. I showed them the broom locker on the bridge, and it didn't take that long to do a first sweep and swab of the deck. We've done a couple of them now, and we're making headway. There's a broom locker on the bridge? Arletta asked. Yeah, just to the port of the... I saw the wide-eyed, innocent, fascinated stare coming from her direction and stuck my tongue out at her. You say, we cleaned, Mel said. You rolled up your sleeves and cleaned consoles. Well, sure. I worked there, too. Mr. Burnside gave me some management advice about what a bad idea that was for earning and keeping the respect of the crew when he found out about it. Mel looked at me more seriously. And what do you think of that advice, she asked after a heartbeat. I was crew, I told her. The officers I respected respected me. They earned my respect by working hard and making sure I was able to do my job in a safe, secure, and efficient manner. I want to be one of those officers that I could respect, I said simply. We're all in the same tin can, and it's a long way to anywhere. I sipped my coffee, hoping I hadn't just gotten into trouble. The officer-crew dynamic was one of the regular courses at the academy. It was particularly important since so many officers came from families who were crew. They'd grown up on ships where Gramps or Grammy were the captains and Cousin Flo ran the galley. I'd had a lot of time to think about the relationship between officer and crew while at the academy, but the only role models I had were from the Lois McKendrick until I started shipping out on the summer cruises and I began to see some different perspectives. 
So how did you get them to study? Freddy asked after a tick had gone by in relative silence. I just asked them what their next rating was and how far along they were. I shrugged. Our normal routine is to get the watch relieved, let things settle in for first stand, deal with meals and such, then clean the bridge up and settle down to study. Charlotte usually fetches the coffee and joins us on the bridge, I said. It's really a pleasant way to spend a watch. But how did you get them to study? Mel asked again. I didn't do anything, I said. Juliet has to be there. She can sit and stare at the helm and watch the stars go by, or she can study. Charlotte can sit on the mess deck, or she can sit on the bridge. The bridge is clean and comfortable. I shrugged. And safe, Arletta added. Well, yes, of course, safe, I said. So she sits on the bridge with us. We're studying. She studies. We have coffee. Sometimes we talk about the ship's operations. Why some things get done a particular way. That sort of thing. Sometimes they trade practice test questions. What are you studying, Ishmael? Mel asked. The ship, I said. I need to know a lot more about the ship if I'm going to be an effective officer when things go bad. You think things will go bad? Freddy asked with a small smile. Let's just say I've been on a ship where everybody worked together and everybody watched your back. Things went bad very fast, and we all almost died and took a half a planet with us. I hope things never get that bad ever again in my life, but I'm not going to bet that they won't. When it comes down to it, I want to know a lot more about what I can do to keep breathing, and I'm perfectly willing to work very hard for knowledge I'll never use. They all nodded at that, and we turned to finishing off breakfast. But how do we get the ship clean? I asked as I cleaned off my plate. I mean, the bridge is small enough to keep up with. How do we deal with the passageways? I don't even want to think about the berthing areas. Well, the captain has to change standing orders, Mel pointed out, but those are only the minimum requirements. We've gotten to the state aboard where the minimum has become the maximum. Arletta pointed out the bridge is clean and we didn't have to change the orders for that. Mel looked thoughtful. I'll see what I can do about the engineering spaces. If the mids are going to be cleaning watches, then everybody gets one, and as Ishmael has found, after the first one, the maintenance is pretty easy. Frankly, if we could just get everybody to wear a fresh ship suit every day and keep the common areas clean, I think we'd all be a lot more comfortable, if not happier or safer, Freddy said. I think we can deal with the watch spaces, bridge, engineering, environmental, but that leaves berthing, mess deck, and passageways, Arletta added. I turned and looked at the corners of the wardroom. This place probably could use a thorough swab, too, I said. A voice spoke up softly from the doorway. I'd be happy to give this place a good cleaning if you'd talk to Mr. Voorhees for me, sir, Davies said from the doorway. We all looked up in surprise. Why would we need to talk to Mr. Voorhees, Miss Davies? Mel asked. Isn't this your normal duty? Well, yes, but he doesn't want me coming in here except to serve and clear, sir. He says that it's for officers and I shouldn't be in here. I blinked. Is there anybody in here between meals? I asked, confused. Freddy said, I come in here once in a while to get a cup of coffee and read. Mel nodded, yes, me too. It's a quiet place to review logs, although lately I've enjoyed the view from the bridge while I'm working. Freddy added, the stateroom seems so small after a while. Davies made a little, that's what I mean, face. Thank you, Miss Davies, I said. I'd be happy to visit with Mr. Voorhees and you and Miss Kramer too, about the wardroom and the mess deck. Thank you, sir. May I clear now? she asked with a glance at the chrono. I saw with a shock it was nearly 0800. Mel stood and said, Yes, thank you, Miss Davies. We're just leaving. I stood too and was pleased to note that everybody picked up their dirty dishes and put them in the tray as we headed out to deal with the day. 
Thanks for listening to Double Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the solar clipper. The music is a medley of jigs, eavesdroppers, both meat and drink, and Off We Go by Great Big C from their self-titled debut album. Find this and other songs by Great Big C at music.podshow.com. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 license. For website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.solarclipper.com. Music